Today, I have the honor of speaking with a man of many, many talents. He's an incredible skills trainer, a coach, a basketball dad, a podcast host and content creator, a digital artist, and so much more. Fortunately for me, he's also been an enormous part of my own kids' basketball development, and I'm so grateful that he's taken some time out of his busy schedule to come hang out with me today on the Mishmash podcast. He is Mr. Gary Lynn. Thanks for having me. I don't I don't know how to follow that up. Man, that sounded amazing. I was like listening to you and I was saying, "Wow, that guy is amazing." <laughs> he he truly truly is, man. And uh, I I've been looking forward to this for a while. So, I'm curious as to how you wound up as a skills trainer, but I would imagine that there's probably some sort of basketball journey that you took that led you to that point. Anything you can share with us about that experience? Sure, yeah. Um Basketball has always been, you know, part of my life growing up. Um, it seems to be the places where I found peace, places where I've had some heartbreaks. You know, everything that you might experience in life, I, I can probably say that I experienced in basketball as a youth. And that's kind of where it all started. You know, it, it you take it from there and kind of grow from there. I was never this prodigy of basketball, but... Um, I grew to love it, and then I kind of took it from there. And from there, it just kind of grew into, you know, a love that I had, and I was going to take it as far as I could. So you started out as a player, and now you find yourself as a trainer. I know you were also a coach and a basketball dad along the way. Yes. How did you get into skills training in particular? Um, you know, I kind of stumbled, uh, stumbled upon it. I first started out as a coach. You know, watching my kids grow up, I always said to myself, listen, I don't I don't really want to be a coach. I just want to be a dad and just kind of watch everything as it plays out. Uh, but the thing that I, I found was my kids would get into like the rec programs and things like that. And the things that they were learning, I felt like they were being deprived. I felt like that they weren't really learning the skills and things that they needed. I felt like there was some misinformation there that they were gaining. Um, so as a parent, it became, well, let me rephrase that, as a parent and a basketball person, it was kind of, I don't want to say frustrating, but it was like, man, I have so much more to offer these kids. Why am I just holding it back? You know, so I started out as a coach, but my approach was always from a skill training perspective. And I just never knew what, what that was. I thought all coaches were supposed to do what I was doing, which was, you know, sharpen their dribbling skills, sharpen their just all-around game. But I guess somewhere along the lines, I realized that not everybody was doing that, you know? So it, I just kind of took it from there. And all my coaching uh, years were never spent much on X's and O's. If, if, if you want to say I was horrible at X's and O's, uh, never really enjoyed it, never really liked it. I would just develop and um, build the skills of kids and just let them play the game, let them be free in the game. Um, and a lot of times it worked out for us. Well, I know I can appreciate what you guys do here at the Hoop Lab because I felt like that was a deficiency in my own coaching experience. Mm -hmm. It was a strong suit as a player, but it's one of those things that I felt like it really wouldn't translate in terms of me knowing how to do certain moves or, you know, just having 
built a certain skill set. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure of how to translate that and, and you know teach other kids beyond just the basics, like you said, basic dribbling drills or biking drills or whatever it is. Yeah, there's an art and a science to it that I've come to appreciate having you know worked with you guys now for a couple of years. I know as a parent wanting to coach, I think people go into it with different expectations or, or maybe different motivations. You know, I agree. For me. I looked at that as a, as a bonding experience, right? Like your kids are kids for only so long. And yeah. so I wanted to take that opportunity to get extra time in. And, you know, my motivations for coaching rec specifically was maybe stemmed, steeped in my own upbringing, right? Where I went through stretches feeling like an outcast or feeling like I wasn't, you know, as good as the other kids or, yeah. or whatever it happened to be. And so I never wanted kids on my teams to feel like that. And yeah. that was a big motivation for me in terms of how I coached. Like, I've been blessed with some really great players who, you know, they were a lot of fun to coach and to watch play. Yeah. But I really focused on the kids who struggled and, you know, maybe weren't the most athletic. Like, I took that as a personal challenge and goal to make them feel just as valued as those star kids. Yeah, um, and I, I think that's a good point, um, you know, and I think the, the those that do kind of take that approach, it kind of rewards itself in different ways. One, the kids start having fun. That fun starts turning into maybe some W's along the way. And not only that, the, the other kids that are their peers and in the league as well, they start to notice that. And, you know, in my, in my case, there was a period of maybe three, four years when I first started that, like just coaching rec and stuff like that, that the kids from other teams the following year, they'd be like, hey, uh, can I request to be on uh, Coach Gary's team? <laughs> and it got to a point where the league was just like, all right, we can't. We everybody can't be on Coach Gary's team, so <laughs> right, and that was a good problem to have, but a, a big challenge for me. In that the last time I coached, I also ran the program for Hazlitt, so it was a little bit yeah of a, a you know <laughs> outside of the norm circumstance. Yeah, but it was also that same scenario where I had so many kids. They capped it at ten because of the rules that we had in place in terms of playing time and everything. But mm-hmm. I had three teams of ten kids apiece, and. It was great because I felt like I, you know, was able to give all of those kids a good experience, but there was definitely something that was lost in it because I couldn't give more, you know, right, and that right. was frustrating for yeah. me. Yeah. But you're not just a basketball dad, you're also a girl dad. And yeah. I'd be lying, listen, I love all three of my kids equally and I treated each team the same, but I'd be lying if I said that there wasn't something a little extra special about the girls team that I coached. Yes. For me personally, I think it's this stigma that's associated with younger girls, right? That they're, to be fair, I think this mindset is is changing slowly, but it is changing. Um, But growing up, you know, girls were thought of as being cheerleaders or, you know, assessed for their looks. They weren't thought of as fierce, competitive, aggressive, you know, tough. There were certain adjectives that wouldn't necessarily be associated with, let's say, a seven or eight year old girl. Right. Uh, Or even the epithet of, oh, you throw like a girl. When we were growing up, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, has a different connotation today. And so with Sarah's team, there was just something... Uh, an extra level of pride when, you know, we'd go out there and, and I'm watching these girls like hustle for rebounds, you know, and chucking elbows, yeah. trying to box out and stuff. And it was great. Did you feel a special connection with your daughter coaching her or, you know? Of, of course, to a certain extent, it creates a bond that, you know, others may not ever understand. Uh, for her, you know, it was a little bit different because the way that our rec programs were where I was is they were co-ed and i don't know if they are in this area but they were co-ed until maybe fifth or sixth grade so i was watching my daughter uh, amongst the other girls 
kind of compete with the boys. And to a certain extent, you know, you always had the ones that were kind of like maybe shy. But, you know, my daughter had that extra, oh, you know, I'm going to give it to you like you're going to give it to me. You know what I mean? She was she she had that toughness in her. So it was fun to watch that part. But like you said, just watching not only your daughter, but, um, you know, the girls and her peers kind of change or look to change that aspect of, you know, what everybody else thought. I remember not too long ago, there was a Dove commercial and the commercial kind of went along the lines of they brought some young girls in and they asked those girls a certain number of questions. And for, for the first thing that they would do is they would ask them, hey, do me a favor and throw like a girl. And it was amazing to watch because every single one of them would it's hard to 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 show audio audible but they would kind of do these girly like quote unquote girly motions to show what a girl would throw like and then when they asked them to show what a typical player would throw like or a typical baseball player they completely changed their form and everything and it was like huh you know um so all that to say is like that stigma not only did it affect us as adults, but it was affecting them as kids. And we wanted, to, that was a, a good piece of, you know, what I wanted to do or what I set out to do as, as just a basketball person. Right. It's eye-opening too, because you kind of lose sight of that perspective and you don't realize what it is, what it's like rather for, for them from their perspective. Mm-hmm. And so I remember that commercial specifically and, and it was, it was, I don't know. It, it kind of hurt to, to watch it, it, to be honest. It did. I Again, there were just certain things. Like, I remember growing up, if you played, if you were a girl and you played football or tackle football with the boys, you know, you were a tomboy. Like, there was always labels that had to be put on it. And I know for me personally, I just hope we reach a point where it doesn't have to be that way. You're just a basketball player. Yeah. And that's really, and, and I don't know if it's like this across other sports, but with basketball, it's its own language. It's its own community. It's its own experience. Mm-hmm. And basketball is basketball. It doesn't matter what you look like, who you are, if you can play, you can play. And, you know, I think that we're moving in that direction. But I'd agree. But it still shows that, you know, it is that way. And Sarah had a similar experience to your daughter where apparently um, her gym teacher said, all right, uh, you know, let's make it fair when they were doing basketball. And he goes, I'm going to put you up against these three boys, <laughs> you know. And that was a good experience for her just to, to have that recognition, right, that, you know, he saw, hey, she's a really good player. And she's not afraid to take that challenge on. She wound up winning, so she talked about that for like yeah. a month, you know? <laughs> but it's great to see that girls aren't being dismissed in the same ways or at least with the same frequency. I remember I've, I've told the story a thousand times, but when Sarah first started playing uh, flag football, we went and, you know, there was an older woman. It happened a couple times, but there was one in particular at ShopRite where this older woman came over and she said, oh, you're so adorable. Are you a cheerleader? And Sarah looked her in the face and said, no, I'm a football player. <laughs> and that was just like I had a... I had to look away because I was just grinning ear to ear because that's what I want. I, yeah. I, I want her to, to have that self-confidence Absolutely. And, and to think that she's a basketball player, not a girl's basketball player, a Absolutely. basketball player. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's what I love specifically about what you and Zach do here is there is there, there's no separation whatsoever. You know, yeah. it's it's these are the drills. You know, this is what we're doing. This It is what it is. And, and it's it's strange in a way, I would say, you know, I I'm almost embarrassed to admit like prior to my daughter I think I was one of those dads that was kind of like oh I'm not why would I watch 
girls play basketball. You know what I mean? Why would I watch, you know, whatever. But when you have a daughter and you start to see the struggles and you start to experience the struggles firsthand, you, you kind of want to start the, or I'm not, not, I wouldn't say start, but, you know, help with the movement of, you know, hey, this is actually good basketball. You know what I mean? And that kind of played into, you know, my role as a skills trainer. I kind of just kind of broadened that a little bit. You know, when I was um, in my early stages of, of skills training, it was like, man, there's so many trainers out here, but the girls are getting left behind, you know? So it was like, in order for me to, I don't want to say make a mark, but leave a mark, I'm going to focus specifically on these girls. And that was intentional from a, you know, from a, a, a business standpoint and just a, a girl dad, you know? So that was, you know, that was a good start to my skills training career as well. Yeah. And, and speaking of good basketball and your daughter, she is doing exceptionally well. She is a D1 player at Kent State, correct? Correct. Yeah. And so first of all, congratulations to you and to her because she obviously put in the work to get there. Yeah. But you did too. You and your wife both were on that journey with her. And yeah. that's that's really what I'd like to dig into today. Absolutely. Um, but did she have a, a turning point or a moment where she decided that that was a goal for her? Or is that something that maybe she always looked at, like that she wanted to be a college basketball player? She's always been an athlete, you know, whether it was baseball, whether it was soccer, whether it was football. It was like no matter what she did, she would she would excel in it. You know what I mean? So for the longest time, she was a pretty good soccer player. She stood out amongst her peers. For years, that was like a goal of hers. She wanted to be, you know, a a soccer player. Um, And then it got to a point where I think even she noticed that things got political. Time when she probably was in about eighth grade, maybe even ninth grade, where she was playing both still. She was doing both soccer and basketball. And for her club team at soccer, she got to a point where she had led the team in goals. She was doing all of the right things, great teammate, etc. Um, and then all of a sudden, when it came time for tryouts the next year, she was cut to the B team. And I think for her, that was like, I, I don't understand this at all. But it was kind of like the start of a new dream. Because at that point, she kind of switched gears and was like, well, I'm going to kill this basketball thing. Um, so that's kind of where everything started for her. So to answer your question, it wasn't always a dream, but that's kind of where life took her. That's awesome. Uh, it, it's frustrating to hear that kind of experience at that age, mm-hmm. but it, it's also encouraging to know that, you know, this is something that your daughter maybe didn't look at from the get go, that it's something that was just sort of innate to yeah. her, which yeah. I think is great. That honestly, see, that's what scares me just personally, because all three of my kids from day one have said that they want to be college or professional basketball players. And mm-hmm. I, I've said to them, I promise to do whatever I can to help you get there as long as you put in the work and the effort. Yeah. And it's tough because they all the desire is there. But I I don't know, like we're not far enough along the journey yet t- for me to, to know about those intangibles, you know, and that's something I, I'd like to pick your brain about later, you know? Yeah. I, I know Sarah and Jack are easier going where, you know, Sarah will be the one to ask me, hey, can we go shoot around at the park, you yeah. know? And Jack, 
Jack will have two games and a practice and come home and go right to his room and start shooting around. <laughs> and we have to, I'm like, I'm tapping out, Jack. Like, that's it. <laughs> and Tim, Tim brings it. No matter where he goes, whether it's practice, a game, skills training, he brings maximum effort. But I worry, you know, I, I think I'm just maybe concerned where he's at and along his journey that, like, he's running out of time. I feel more of a time crunch with him. You know, he, he's mm. going to – he just turned 12. And so for some reason that freaked me out. Like, oh, my God, he's going to be a teenager next year. He's got, you know, five years left, whatever, whatever you want to look at it as. And so I guess I'm struggling with trying to find a way to motivate him without – overdoing it you know and it sounds like your daughter had that inner motivation is that something that you would categorize her as um, having, i don't or? think that she always had it um i think that it was just something that as she grew as she matured it kind of pushed her in that way you know once she said that she wanted to to do basketball um it was kind of one of those things like you said it's like i'm gonna do everything that i can but that means you have to do everything that you can uh the one thing that i i did um and i've talked about this before is I'm a big believer that environment is a big role in not only sports, but it's a big role in just life in general, right? So the, the old age saying is, you know, if you're, if you want to be rich, your five closest friends can't be <laughs> broke. You know what I mean? Right. So um, I kind of took that, that, that same saying and kind of applied it to basketball. It's like, well, where we were, yes, kids played basketball, but at the end of practice, they were going home, and, and that was the end of it. You know what I mean? At school, it was the same thing. They had basketball players there, but at the end of the day, they were like, I don't, I don't want, to, want to do this anymore. So for somebody who has dreams of playing Division One basketball, that part was difficult. So we literally had to change her whole environment in order for her to not only you know gain that motivation, but gain that self-worth of, hey, I see what everybody else is doing. I see what my friends are doing. So in order for me to get where I need to be, I, need, I guess I need to do that too. So again, as she matured and that became a, a part of her life, then things kind of went with it. Yeah, I think the challenge for me is recognizing that all three of my kids are, are individuals. They're different. They're yeah. similar in a lot of regards, especially when it comes to basketball. But at the end of the day, they have their own different different motivations, different interests outside of basketball. And I think it's more a fear that I'm not doing enough to support them, or at least with Tim in particular, mm -hmm. when I see other kids who, you know, will finish a practice and then ask to stick around and, and just put up jump shots or whatever. He's, yeah. he's not there yet, but the yet is the most important word. Yeah. And I, I, I just have to keep reminding myself that. And the problem is that I've been so internally motivated my whole life and that's not something that you can teach someone. You know, you yeah. can you can help them to become motivated. But I was always the, the kind that if I'm out on a bike ride or uh, I'm going for a run, I want to take the hill route because yeah. it's going to get me more in the time I'm putting into it, you know. Um, and I have to remember that they're going to be 12, 10, 8 this year. Yeah. They're kids. And so I'm just hoping that by the time, let's say, Tim hits 14 or 15, which was really when I started to get into, like, working out and fitness and, and everything, and, you know, that he'll fall in love with the process, too. And that's the thing. Like, I can't take anything away from him and his yeah. work ethic because he does. He works really, really hard all the time. I think what – I guess what makes me concerned or, or nervous is I feel like what separates a, a D1 player, right, a D1 prospect, let's say, from – a kid who doesn't play in college yeah. are those extras, you know, being not just being told to stick around and put up those extra shots, but wanting to do it. Like, cause yeah. so much of it 
as parents, we're either, I feel like at the start, we're leading them along from the front. And towards the end, you know, we're, we're I don't ever want to have to push them from behind, if that makes sense. You no, know, no, I, no, that, that definitely makes sense. And I think that uh, one of the important things for, for parents that kind of are in that situation that everybody has their own path, everybody has their own journey. So comparing them to, you know, someone else's path or um, some of their peers' path, that may not be the fair thing for them. And there's also the part that as they start to grow, some things will change for them. And they kind of have to kind of, as much as we guide them, you know, we can be the guidance and we can be the the, uh, the bumpers for them. But ultimately, they start to kind of gain their own vision, their own experiences and things like that. And maybe one day there'll come a day where he, you know, he acknowledges that, hey, this kid is better than me and he's doing this much more than me. So maybe I need to do the same thing. And then the other part, the second part of that is I think it's important for parents to understand that there are so many great teams and there's so many great levels of basketball that Division One isn't the end-all be-all. Um, there's this stigma that if you've worked for so long in this basketball world and this basketball you know, journey that it's D1 or bust. And I think that we have to somehow find a way to get rid of that 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 stigma. Obviously, it's a great accomplishment if that's what the, the kids want. And as parents, we can do everything that we can that we can do to help them get there. But you know, D two, there's so many D two teams that have beaten D one teams. There's so many D three teams that have beaten D one teams. That the point I guess that that I'd like to get to is that all of those levels have competitive players on them you know and it's just a matter of you know where can they get to um it may not be d1 but that doesn't mean that they're not great players right absolutely and i feel like my perspective that i'm bringing to it is i always strive for the maximum output or maximum outcome rather so if it's a test i want to get 100 if it's whatever and so for me the goal or, or at least when I've had these conversations with the kids, like their goal is to get a D1 scholarship because Mm -hmm. their real goal is to become professional NBA or WNBA players. And I always sort of chuckle when people say, oh, I know my kid's not going to be a professional athlete. You know, the odds are too small or whatever. And I feel like that's such a dismissive attitude to have. Even there is a certain element of realism to it. and, And I understand, you know, the practicality of it. But my mentality is, if they're shooting for something less, then they're not really trying to maximize their potential. Yeah. I would rather them shoot to become a professional player or D1 scholarship athlete and wind up, let's say they, they get a D2 scholarship. Well, yeah. guess what? Like you said, <laughs> they're still in a highly competitive. Yeah. It's an incredible accomplishment yeah, yeah. to have that. Absolutely. But the other part of it, too, is, and this is what I try to explain to people about the kids and, and this goal that they have for themselves. Let's say they don't make it. They, they don't hit D1. They never become professionals. That doesn't mean it's a failure. If they've put everything that they had into it, mm-hmm. they can be proud of wherever they wind up. And you never know what you're going to build in terms of a skill set and experience networking. There's so much that goes into it along 100%. the way. Yeah, yeah, You know, and for Sarah, it's funny. Again, me being a perfectionist, like the highlight of my elementary school experience was winning the spelling bee, the school spelling bee. And when Tim got to the same age, he did the same thing. And I thought that was a really cool experience because yeah. I remember we worked together and we studied 
and then this past year, Sarah was in the same age, and she studied so much harder than either Tim or I did. Like she would, I, I actually, <laughs> I, it was my first time going out with my buddies in a while, and she texted me and asked, "Hey, can you come home early? Because I want to study one more time." And yeah. I did. I cut the night short, and I found out after, like during the school day, that. She didn't win. She finished in ninth. And I was so scared that she was going to be upset Yeah. because, again, I know she wanted to go in there and, and wanted to win. I wound up going out and getting flowers just to meet her at the door, you know, yeah. when she got out of school in the event that she was going to be upset. And the smile on that kid's face when she came out of the doors and she said, Dad, guess what? I finished in the top 10. And I said, <laughs> oh, that was it was such a great moment for me because she knew that she put the work in, you know, and yeah. No, it wasn't. She didn't get a tr the trophy or whatever the heck it was. She wasn't moving on to the next round, but she knows or she knew that she did the best that she could. Yeah. And so for my kids, that's that's just the mentality I want them to have. I want Absolutely. them to shoot, you know, to shoot for the stars, for lack of a better term. And wherever they wind up, as long as they did everything they could, you know, that that's that's going to be good enough. Yeah. 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 No, and I think that's a good that's a good uh, point. I think at the end of the day, you never know where your journey is going to take you. Right. So all of us have this uh, NBA dream or, you know, professional sports dream. And I was once that kid, too. But my journey didn't take me there, but it put me here where I get to work with hundreds of kids and now put them through that same dream. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it's like I don't know that I would change it. So so what? I didn't make it to the NBA, but I'm extremely happy doing what I'm doing. That just happens to be with basketball, you know? Yeah. I, I, for me, a parallel experience is with writing. Since I was seven years old, I knew that's what I wanted to do as a career, as a profession, whatever. And when I finally got to the point where I started to take steps towards that journey, I had those goals, the same kind of goals. You know, for me, a, a D1 scholarship or making it to the NBA meant a New York Times bestseller, you yeah. know, or getting a publishing contract and an agent and all that. And I went and went for those things, but I wasn't getting joy. There was no more pleasure in it. I started to hate writing and resent it because of that experience. And it yeah. gave me an opportunity to, to step back and really assess what I wanted out of the experience. And I found for me that being an independent author gave me way more creative control over the mm -hmm. entire process. Mm -hmm. I could, you know, do supplemental marketing with my own artwork or, or, you know, I could do these fun campaigns and stuff that I wouldn't, would never be able to do as a traditionally published author. Yeah. And so I realized from that experience that the happiness factor is so much more important than I think people realize. Yeah. And so that's, that's something that, that I'd like to get into just from your observations as sure. a trainer and a parent, what are some mistakes or some of the pitfalls that you see other parents make in terms of trying to lead their kids towards, you know, that, that D1 goal? That's actually a good question. So I think one of the, the, the mistakes that parents make, and I think it's probably one of the biggest mistakes, is that they start to they start to put the pressure on very early. And I don't know that they even realize what that pressure looks like or what that pressure is doing. So in some cases, you'll see parents that are you know, they want, the kid may want that dream. So the kid, the parent may feel as though that they're doing all of those things. They're taking them to training. They're, you know, making sure that they're on three and four teams and they're doing all of the things that they think they should be doing, but they're expecting them to be Michael Jordan right away, you know? So not allowing them to grow, not allowing them to learn, not allowing them to fail 
not allowing them to make mistakes. Those are all the things that are going to ultimately mold them into good players. But because of those pressures, they're not able to because they're just not free, right? They're playing with this pressure on them. They're playing, you know, in the game. They're listening to what mom or dad is saying. And it's like, you know, mom or dad, they can see their facial expressions when they miss a layup. And it's like, if you could relieve that pressure from them, you'd be amazed at where they would go. That's a, a phenomenal point and one that I know you've made at least once uh, in the Dish and Dimes podcast. And I know that because I've come in and seen several parents in, you know, really earnest conversation with you, uh, thanking you for making that point because they didn't realize what they were doing to their kids. Yeah. They thought that they were helping by, by pushing and, and motivating yeah. when really they were hurting. They don't realize the tension and fear and, and just the way it saps the joy out of the experience. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like for me, it comes back to balance. Everything. Yeah. You want to push them. You want them to work hard, but then they also need to have downtime too. And that's something yeah. that I'm developing now. Straight up, it's more an insecurity for me where Tim is concerned, right? Like with Jack, there's a four-year gap there. He's he's not even eight years old yet, and he's already got way more experience than I had at like 16, yeah. you know, in terms of basketball. Yeah. So there's this like sense of relief, like an exhale where he's concerned and Sarah's concerned because it's like, okay, you know, they've got plenty of time. We're doing the right things. But with Tim, he's starting middle school in a couple of months, like yeah. in like four months. So now there's this anxiety where he's concerned. And I've had to find a way not to convey that internal, you know, that unsettling anxiety that I have in myself onto him. Yeah. It's not his fault. That It is what it is. This is the circumstance, yeah. you know? And just out of curiosity, when it comes to things like becoming a professional athlete, a professional musician, an actor or actress, right? You always hear people say, well, I had no plan B. Like I went all in on this and it was either do this or, well, there was no war. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Because for me personally, like I, it, Jack still says that this is the only thing that he wants to do. And, you know, I think that's fine, but I also think that it's important to not necessarily have a fallback plan, but recognize that, you know, th this journey could end at any moment for any yeah. reason, you know, God yeah. forbid it could be an injury or whatever it is. Yeah. And so do you think it's important as a, a student athlete to have something else, you know, to, to pivot to or a way to, to, you know, find a path that maybe veers off of this? The way that I would kind of groom kids is to follow their passion, right? So not necessarily have a plan B, but what is what is your passion? If your basketball is passion, you would mop the floors of a basketball player. Do you know what I mean? If your basketball is passion, you would coach a rec team. So I think that if if the kids along the way can find whatever that passion is, and their passion may not even be related to whatever sport they're in, it's just being able to find that passion and embrace it. You know, because nowadays, I'm a firm believer that whatever your passion is, you can make a career out of it. So I think that's the biggest thing for, for parents. And when you talk about downtime and allowing them the downtime, every, everybody, every kid is going to be different when it comes to that downtime. What is their downtime? Some kids may find downtime being able to go out in the driveway and hoop. You know, some kids may find that their downtime is coloring. You know, whatever that downtime is. As parents, we just have to allow them the opportunity to have it. So hopefully that that answers, you know, I don't necessarily think that there needs to be a plan B. 
But if there is going to be, it just needs to be whatever that passion is. Uh, follow that passion. I'm a true believer that, that whatever your passion is, you can find a way to, to, to make a career out of it. I think that's exceptional advice. And it's funny because I can relate to it from both sides of the table. Again, when I was 17, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Yeah. Not, I was, you know, top 1% of my class and I was told all the time, oh, you're going to change the world. You're going to do this and that. I had no idea what I wanted to do. <laughs> I wanted to write. I knew that. And so when I went to my parents and we had the discussion like, well, what are you going to do for college and all this stuff? I said, I want to be a writer. And they were terrified that, I wasn't going to make it because of the odds, because of whatever it was. And so they said, well, why don't you go into business? You could always, you know, do the writing thing afterwards. And I said, all right, well, maybe I could teach English because I love school and teaching and stuff. And Mm -hmm. I got the same sort of response. And their motivations were pure. You know, they they didn't want me to have the same economic struggles that that they had as kids. And and so I totally got it. But I also understood that it was the passion for those things that was driving me in that direction. You know, it was... What, what is the adage? If you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Or, 100%. Or whatever it is. Yeah, and yeah. I, I totally believe in that. And it's funny because Sarah, since kindergarten, has said that she wants to be a gym teacher because she fell in love with Miss V. Her experience in that class changed her at that age. Yeah. And she has never wavered from that. She's added professional athlete to it. But I, I love and respect her passion for that like this is what she wants to do and i tell her all the time i said yeah. don't ever let anybody dissuade you from that path because if that's what's going to make you happy then that's going to have more value than any amount of money you could make in a more lucrative career you 100%. know 100 percent. and i think there's there's two points to that that i that i'd add to that i heard somebody once say that the true currency of life is not money but it's happiness so everything that we do, we, we trade our happiness for it. We exchange our happiness for it, right? So if the wife's best friend is having a, a baby shower that now your wife wants you to go to, right? It's just a matter of, yeah, we can do it. It's just an exchange of my happiness for it, right? And obviously, I might not be happy going to the baby shower, but I'll be happy because my wife's happy. Do you know what I mean? So... There may not be money involved with it. It's just an exchange of that. We don't go to work for the money. Well, we do. But in return, I'm exchanging my happiness to go there. So there's that part of it. And I think that kind of ties into that thought process of if you follow that passion, then you'll eventually get to what whatever it is that makes you happy. And ultimately, hopefully that happiness can turn into that currency. Yeah. Do you no, know what I mean? Absolutely. And this is a bit of a humble brag, but I think you might have enjoyed yourself at Tim's baby shower because <laughs> we had a, a Jack Daniels baby bottle drinking contest I, I think for the I, guys. I think I would enjoy that. And uh, <laughs> it was hilarious to watch, but the winner was clever. He just bit right through the, the thing and <laughs> chugged it down and we were all sort of horrified. Everyone kind of looked at his girlfriend like, uh-oh. <laughs> but, um, but no, I know, I know oh, what you mean. Good. That's good. And uh, I mentioned the Chris Bosch book uh, when I spoke with Zach, but he speaks about having a why and that the why behind your passion or motivation for playing basketball specifically mm-hmm. It shouldn't be something ephemeral like fame or money. Like it should be yeah. something like really deeply inborn. And um, I think that it's important. <laughs> I think it's important for people to help their kids to develop those passions because, yeah. you know, not not to be all judgy, but like 
there's something lost when kids just get anesthetized with iPads or, or video game systems and stuff. You know, yeah. I, I hate that. Like, those should be tools towards some sort of development, you know, and that's the thing. Like, I told my kids, you know, some of their friends were watching YouTube videos of kids opening presents. Like, I didn't even realize that that was a thing, that, and I, apparently a very lucrative thing for certain channels and stuff. <laughs> I told them straight yeah. up, I said, the the one time you want to start watching other kids open presents is the last time you will have to open presents <laughs> in, in this house. And, and, and it's because I want them to develop new skills and, and go explore, be curious, you know, like build. Yeah. Because when I worked in college admissions, that was one of the things that I really focused on was trying to help kids build a, a bigger picture for themselves. Mm -hmm. And how do you differentiate yourself when you're essentially just numbers on a page? Yeah. For me, for me at the time, it was just the college essay. That was the one thing that gave kids the opportunity to give the fuller scope of themselves. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of them struggled with it because they didn't have much to say. They didn't right. have much to talk about. And so I, I've learned to try to give them that leeway to have the downtime, but also to, to try to use it occasionally to, you know, to develop new skills or, or interests yeah. or, or other patterns. I, th I would say the, the only bit of resistance that I would add to that is who decides what that skill is. In other words, every day we're living in a time where there's new careers being birthed. There's new money ventures being birthed. So who decides what that skill is for that child? And my take on that comes from experience. And I'll give you a quick story. My youngest son was about seven or eight when he came to me and he said, Dad, I want to do, I want to do a YouTube channel. And I said to him, you know, just thinking with an, an older vision, it was like, I don't know if I want you to do that. There's a lot of creepos out there and et cetera, et cetera. So it's like, in a sense, looking back, I feel like I kind of killed a passion that could have been birthed. Fast forward a few years later when he's old enough to kind of think a little bit mature, do a little bit more and kind of just know the rights from wrongs. You know, we get in the world of the Snapchats and the TikToks and things like that. And now he's discovered his own path because he's amassed 500,000 TikTok followers. You know what I mean? Um, that's constantly growing. So it's like he's learned how to monetize in just his short term, short time of, of learning. So then I look back and I say, man, what would have happened if I allowed him to have that YouTube channel? Would he be one of those kids opening presents and, <laughs> and everybody's watching? Do you know what I mean? So, so when I say that, you know, when I offer that little bit of resistance, it's just coming from that perspective. You know, it's coming from a perspective of how many of us grew up with our parents saying, you can't sit there and play video games all day. But now there's video gamers earning <laughs> millions and millions of dollars. It's a very, very slippery slope. But as a parent, it's just one of those things that you just have to be open to understand that the world is changing and, you know, broaden our scope of what skills are. Absolutely. And I don't really think it's a brushback. I think it's a, a valid point for me in terms of answering your sort of counter question there of, of who decides. It comes down to the balance between being a passive recipient of entertainment and an active participant in education or, or development. Uh, yes, and yes. So that's, for that. me, 
there's nothing wrong with that stereotype, right, of, of kids playing video games. Because, again, right, like, when we were growing up, it was, oh, it rots your mind and all this stuff. And we know that's not true, right? There's yeah, a lot yeah. that, that comes with that. And, and you know what? Even at the bare minimum, if it's just a way to decompress after mm-hmm. a long day of school or whatever, then that's, you know, th- then it's cool, right? Th- so, for me, there's certain outlets that are purely entertainment-based. And it I can't, agree with that. It can't always be about development and stuff. But it's more when you have those opportunities. Like, what, what are you doing at least to balance out that entertainment. I think it comes back to that. Like you have yeah. to have room for that. It's almost like junk food, right? Or dessert or whatever. Like, no, it's not good for your nutrition, but it's good for maybe your mental health or as a balance, right? But what else are you putting on that plate yeah. to help make a, a more complete meal, yeah. you know? And I'm glad that you mentioned social media because that was something that I was curious about. I feel like some parents get stuck in this mentality of, you know, like you said, earlier, putting kids on four or five teams, right? Mm-hmm. And they're playing all the time and they're going nonstop with skills training and other other things that are just basketball related without room for anything else. And yeah. I understand the mentality, right? Because the fear is, well, if I'm not doing something towards basketball, then it's taking away from, you know, their chances of making it or whatever. I don't look at it that way because I think that you want to build that that more complete picture, like I mentioned earlier. And I feel like social media is important. It's important to kids, but it's also important to society now. How important do you think it is for, let's say, a middle schooler or high school age kid to build an online presence for themselves, either personally or just in terms of basketball as a way, you know, to give scouts, potential scouts or coaches or, or someone to, to see if they're, building, if they're building exposure for themselves? Yeah, no, I, I think it's really important. In our upbringing, we weren't necessarily privy to some of the exposure things that the kids today are. You know, there's so many different ways that not only in sports, but music and artistically, things like that. There's so many different ways that we can discover new talent with social media media leading that, that pack. I think it's really important for kids to kind of take advantage of that kind of let their let their personality show through that. I think a lot of parents may, you know, lean away from that for for reasons that I have had in my own household. You know what I mean? So it's just about educating the kids, but also knowing that, let me put it this way, each player is kind of their own brand. Okay. So when you're trying to vie for a scholarship that's one in few, you have to kind of separate yourself from everybody else and how can you do that how can you get on somebody's radar social media is a great way to do that you know especially if you're not um, one of the top talented kids in the world you've got to break through somewhere and that's a great place for for kids to break through yeah i think it's a necessity at this point yeah i'm still in the the stage of managing their accounts uh again because of those aforementioned creepos that, yeah. that pop up yeah and i'm you know i'm trying to cultivate it uh, as well. I have experience with this with trying to build my own brand as a writer and trying to navigate that. So I'm trying to parlay what I've learned from that experience to building something for them. And right now I'm just keeping it fun and focused on, you know, their, their sports stuff. Like yeah. it's because that's really at this point what it's about. It's it's showing, you know, going back to the college admissions thing, like I'm looking at this as uh, an interview opener, right? You never know who's mm-hmm. going to see it. There's connections to be made, whether it's with coaches or other players or whatever. And I don't know, you know, where it can lead down the road, but yeah. I, I think it's important to have. But in terms of that road, 
having successfully navigated it, are there any tips that you can give to parents or, or any mistakes that you made that in retrospect you feel like you could help other people not make? Sure. You know, when it comes to social media just in general in, in the recruiting process, I think it's important for parents to understand, like, I think one of the mistakes that a lot of parents will make is that they want to, and this is not for the younger kids, this is for more of the high school kids. They want to manage those accounts, they want to control those accounts, and they want to put out the, the material on those accounts, and colleges don't like that. It's obvious at times when you, know, when you have a parent that's managing or tweeting for a kid. So it's one of those things where they have an opportunity to get in front, but at the same time, you have to have a personality behind it, right? One of the things that gets talked about in marketing and branding is finding your voice, right? So as a player, you can't just post a highlight film one day and then come back two weeks later and then post another highlight film. There's no emotion in it. There's no voice behind it. It's just posting to be posting. Do you know what I mean? So I think that's one of the biggest things is just, you know, allow your kid the opportunity as they get older to have a voice for themselves. Of course, as a parent, you have to just allow them that leeway, but then also you have to rein it in to a certain extent, oh, if that makes sense. <laughs> no, for sure. Uh, Tony Reale from ESPN once said that parenting is all about letting go. And it's true because our goal, the way I look at it is parenting is an experience, but it's also a job, right? Mm -hmm. And as part of that job, my goal is to produce three fully functional, highly actualized, happy adults who are going to contribute to whatever environments they find themselves in. Yeah. And part of that is leading them along the way and letting go when needed, right? Yeah. So just like I, uh, the bicycle example is the best one, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you could run alongside them and hold on and they're technically riding their bike, but sooner or later you have to let go and let them do it on their yeah, own. Absolutely. And I hate the idea of sheltering. This goes back to when I was a kid. I remember the kids who had the biggest problems with being bullied were the ones whose parents, usually the moms who swoop, you know, swooped in and tried to pull them out of the, the bad situations, right? Yeah. They pulled them from public school and put them in private school because yeah. they saw that as the solution and or even pulling them out of school entirely and homeschooling them. And, you know, there there's merits to homeschooling. I'm, I'm not going, you know, down that path. But when you give this notion that safe, that home is the only safe place and that, you know, your parents are the ones who fight your battles for you, you lose so much in terms of development and self-confidence and everything. And yeah. so in terms of how I approach things with my kids, I try to inform and educate more than I try to protect and, and deflect. There's certain things that are just not age appropriate and I'm not going to let them do it. Right. But social media is a great example because if you hide them from it and, you know, just try to completely disconnect them from it, number one, you run the risk of generating more curiosity, curiosity right? Yeah. And so with social media, I didn't want it to, to have that appeal. This like, oh, what is this mysterious thing? But at the same time, I don't think my kids are ready yet. Like you said, you know, for older kids, it's important for the parents to let go. But I'm hoping that by the time, let's say Tim, he'll be the first one to reach that, that pinnacle. He'll know enough to make better decisions for himself. Yeah. I will have educated him about the types of things that he should and shouldn't post. You're absolutely right. And I 100% agree with you. And I also believe that, you know, the more that we shelter them, there's a couple things that happen. One, the more that we shelter them, 
the less that they are forthcoming with you, but also the more that we shelter them, the more that we don't allow them the opportunity to learn, right? Because let's face it, they're going to go through a period whether, you know, even when they're old enough to actually understand what social media is, they're going to go to a, through a time where it's like, wait a second, maybe I shouldn't have posted that. But guess what? They know. Now they know. You know, whatever consequence comes from that, now they know. I mean, I'm not ashamed to say that I've had those experiences and those consequences have learned, you know, they've they've built that that strength and that understanding of, okay, well, now I know what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. So, no, I, I definitely agree. I definitely agree with you. And just in terms of the recruiting process, right, obviously social media is part of it, but whether specific to, to your daughter and her experience with winding up in Kent State or just maybe a more generalized thing, what are some ways that parents can help their future athletes either build exposure or like basically, I guess that's that's the crux of it is how do you get noticed as a high school athlete? So, you know, the, the social media part is, is a big part. Um, obviously, you know, there's going to be some schools that use that primarily as as their recruiting source. Um, and then there's going to be other schools that you know, your Dukes and your Big Tens and your things like that, that kind of have their own way of vetting kids. So social media is a big part of them building their exposure, but it's not the end-all be-all. Other things that ultimately kids will need to do is go to exposure camps. You know, every college coach typically holds some type of camp for kids, and there are certain times during the year that they can do that. That's a great way to get on the radar Obviously, there's going to be hundreds of kids there at times, but if you're, you know, you're putting in the work and you're you're doing all the things that you should post are supposed to do, those are times that you could at least get your foot in the door. And is that something at the high school level, or does that start even earlier than that? Um, no, it does start early. You know, a lot of times at the earlier ages. I mean, it is obviously coaches have budgets and things like that. It is. I don't want to say it's a money grab, but it's a way for them to earn money for their programs. So they do have like younger kids and things like that. But just like, you know, you were to go to any kind of game at a, any rec center or whatever, you're always going to see that one kid that kind of stands out. Well, guess what? If that one kid stands out, they're not going to they're not going to say, all right, that was cool. No, they might mark it down and say, hey, I want to see this kid play the game when I go when I go out on the road, you know, so. That's one way, the exposure camps, um, the exposure events, you know, everything. I think that one of the things that has gotten lost in quote-unquote AAU world is not everything is AAU. Everything is travel basketball for the most part, but that doesn't mean that it's AAU. There's different levels to it. There's different events that are meant for college coaches. Uh, There's different times that are meant for college coaches. So a lot of times parents will quote-unquote play on these AAU teams year-round but in reality coaches can really only go watch you for five times out of the year right and they're probably not going out to the the tournaments they should be playing in for exposure purposes they you know they may just be putting it on repeat cycle like yeah, you said. Yeah, yeah 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 and that's the other thing is is just as you're building your recruiting process or going through the recruiting process it's we have this notion that we want to build our experience through actually playing the games and you know our original our initial thought on that is 
or our philosophy on it is that it's not it's not really the right thing to do. I won't say it's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, but I wouldn't recommend it only because if we go back to what we talked about before, that pressure that's on the kids, if we go back to the expectation that they're going to do everything right, it becomes a lot of kids holding back from what their what their weaknesses are. So if a kid's going to, you know, if he knows that he's not good with his left hand, guess what? He's not going to go to his left because he's afraid he's going to get yelled at. He's going to be afraid that he's going to come out. So he's not really getting the opportunity to, to develop as a player to be the best player that he could be because he's playing all these games where he's just hiding all the things that he doesn't do well. So that's maybe too much that I added in there, but to answer your question, but um, that's one of the things that, that parents can do to during the recruiting process. Well, not even just during the recruiting process, but during this journey. Don't get caught on, on in that that cycle of playing on so many teams throughout the year. Just pick one and kind of you can ride that wave. But the bigger point is just going to be work on developing your skills. I promise you, you won't get left behind. Well, and, and that's the thing. I take a more holistic view of it, right? The experience I've had with skills training started with you at I'm Possible. Mm-hmm. And I just remember seeing the bigger picture like right out of the gate. Yeah. And I realized, though, that <clears throat> the other, you know, obviously you need to supplement it with game experience, right? Nothing, not, the whole point of skills enhancement is to be prepared to play in games. It's yeah. not like, you know, I would imagine there's not many skills enhancement competitions where you're going off and <laughs> showing off the dribbling skills and stuff, you know? Yeah. But being able to incorporate those skills into your repertoire, uh, into your game and building a better overall game is, is important. But even with that, I think we as America, we as a basketball community have that backwards. We're so focused on the games and things like that, that we lose sight of the development part. Even as we try to get our kids the opportunity to maybe incorporate some of the things that they've been learning we are so caught up in winning and getting the W that the development part goes out the window. So the kids aren't going to incorporate much of what they've been learning because of the, again, the fear. So the reason I say we have that backwards is because if you look at other countries and things that are are developing in terms of basketball, they're not focusing on the youth level like we are. Their focus is small-sided games, whether it be 2v2, 3v3. And I think that's where we could do better as a basketball community is just developing that even at the rec level and not allowing our kids just to jump in 5v5 because, one, a lot of dreams are going to get killed that way. We're going to suck the fun out of it, and your kid basically may start hating it. (laughs) For sure, and I know... I had friends who would only play in full court games or forget they wouldn't even play at the park. Yeah. Because growing up in Brooklyn, that was, we didn't have gyms really. It was, you know, unless you played in a church league or whatever, it was going to play at the park. And I know for me, there were guys that would do only full court games all day. And obviously I played full court, but I had more fun playing in three on three games, you know, or or four on four or whatever it was, because it forced you. Like, you really saw who had the, the true skill set there. Like, because, you know, if, if it's you and another player, like, you have to be able to get past them. Yeah. And five-on-five five focuses more on the, the broader scope of the game is how I think of it. Like, yeah. learning how to operate within that. And obviously, that's important, too. Yeah. But 
for me, using Tim as an example, as an example, I remember I was watching him, you know, become more adept at dribbling and finishing and stuff. Mm -hmm. But we would play one-on-one at the park. And as soon as I started to body up on him, he would clam up and he was getting frustrated because he was getting stuffed. He wasn't getting shots off. And then there was this one day here at the lab where I went to play defense on him. And instead of stopping, he did something that I saw him do, you know, a a couple weeks earlier with you guys. And that was the moment where I realized it clicked for him, you know, and and that's how I look at skills enhancement is it's not even necessarily the specific skills. These are all tools that enable players to to become better scorers, better passers, or just better, you know, at moving with the ball. And that's what it does. To me, it frees them up. It frees their minds and their bodies up to focus on, okay, I got to get a bucket. I want to get to the rim. They don't have to think about what to do because now you've equipped them with a multitude of options. And, you know, in that split second, I saw it with Tim in one game where he hit this kid with a Euro step that I would have never been able to teach him. And it wasn't something he thought about. It clearly wasn't planned. It was just instinctive because it was the right play to make. And that's what I think you guys really do here is you help these players to just have a bigger tool bag to pull out of. Um, And I think that's an important part of it. But it is. It's still just a component. Absolutely. And speaking of the bigger picture earlier, you mentioned specifically, you know, having had social media experience. Uh, I referenced early on that, you know, you're a podcast host and creator. I am curious. The Dish and Dimes podcast has been phenomenal so far. I love it. Thank and you. I know a lot of people are benefiting from it, which is even better, right? It, yeah. it's for, some podcasts are just fun outlets, but there's genuine value there. How did the podcast come about? For Zach and I, it was more or less the educational piece we found ourselves kind of saying the same thing and we found ourselves believing in, you know, a set of philosophies and thought processes that we just thought were important to share, you know, um, you know, when you talk about the, the fear of failure and that's one of the things that we talked about on our first podcast, it's one thing to kind of talk to a parent one-on-one, but then it's another thing to kind of put it out there. And as many parents that feel like they want to listen can hear it you know and I think that's where we kind of been blessed because we just come in here and we talk about whatever's on our mind or whatever we feel uh, would be beneficial for parents and a lot of parents are picking up on it and they're actually implementing it and I think for us it was more or less the the mindset that hey if we can just change the thought process of one parent we can we've done our job you know but now we're finding tens of dozens of parents that are sending us feedback and sending us compliments and, you know, kind of implementing it into their lives. So that makes a big, that's very rewarding for us. And and it's a global reach too, right? Because I remember Zach, was it, mm, I don't think it was last year or the year before, Zach had gone to Israel, right? To do some training. And I remember kind of following his journey through that time and just seeing the pure joy and passion that those players had for the sport. It was something unfortunately that i see lacking here at least to to some extent and you guys have had other players come in was it for the summer i think it was the summer camp last year right wasn't there at least a couple players that were coming yeah we had we had a gentleman that came in from jamaica he worked out with zach for an entire week uh we had for our summer camp we had a gentleman that came in from michigan that enjoyed the camp um and here and there we've get we've gotten a couple people that are either from out of state and Obviously, we get the locals from, you know, the the mid-Atlantic area, but they've been traveling in. They've been coming here and and working out, which is good. Um, Hopefully, we can just increase that. 
and that's the thing, right? The reach of basketball is literally global. It's anywhere in the world you're going to see fans of the game. And 100%. It's definitely building up. And so there's a bigger picture there. And that, and a perfect segue, I guess. That's one of the things that I've always admired and respected about you is you're a bigger picture guy. And for me, I'm always trying to diversify my interests, my talents and stuff. And that's something that, you know, gravitated me towards you is understanding like you, you're not just a a basketball fanatic. You are, of course, you love the sport, right? But you're also an artist. You have all these other outlets and stuff. Is there anything you want to say about maybe like the Take Flight brand or? I think, you know, for me, I've just done things that like we talked about earlier, I, I find passion in, you know, I've always been um, an entrepreneur of sort. I've always been passionate about just the creative in general. And coming from, you know, my background, I've just never had the resources to kind of, if I wanted a website, I've never had the resources to kind of go pay somebody to do it. So guess what? I had to figure out how to do it. I've never had the resources to kind of have somebody film, you know, this little 30 second reel that I need. So guess what? I had to go find out how to do it. So all of the things that I kind of find passion in as far as the creative process are things that I just learned myself just because I wanted to get it done and I'm and not to say that I'm a control freak but I know that if I want something done I can get it done when I want it done you know what I mean I don't have to wait for anybody's time or anything like that so that's a big driving force in everything that I do as well it's funny that's a parallel experience that I've had it's less of, about motivation and more about out of necessity, I think, yeah. um, especially for me in terms of how I've gone about doing certain things. You know, I did the book tour. I've done only one expansive book tour uh, that, that took me through New York and New Jersey, but I had to set all that up myself. I can't afford a publicist or yeah. an agent, you know, and, and again, there's something to be gained from that experience. Forget about just the relationships and, you know, personal interactions that I had. You know, I had to develop the confidence to go into an establishment and, and try to sell myself and, and yeah. you know, pitch this idea that I had for it. And and then interacting with people at those events and stuff. And, and that's, I guess that's what it comes back to for me as a parent. And I hope any parents who are listening, it should be about em- empowering our kids yeah. and helping them to develop self-confidence and doing less for them and more helping them learn how to do it themselves yeah. to an extent. And that's the beauty of, of the skill enhancement part is even when we talk about, you know, how kind of how where I how I got here, it's being a girl dad, you realize that the the girls, especially our girls, lack some confidence, right? Whether it be self-image or, or um, you know, things like that. So basketball was a way for me personally to kind of boost their confidence in the game but what I found is that that confidence is kind of like this big light that expands beyond the boundaries of the game so even if you're able to get them to build their confidence within the skills that they have in basketball they're going to walk through the hallways at school in a totally different way because they have this newfound confidence and that's been one of the driving forces for me in terms of, you know, skill development and things like that. It's like it's a way for me to reach kids and start building them up as people. It's a way for me to reach kids and start empowering them to follow their passions and just be that mentor and guidance for them. A lot of times, even now, I have kids in college that haven't trained with me for years, but I still find it important for me to talk to continually. 
Do you know what I mean? And it has nothing to do with monetary needs. It's just one. There's a, a trend with student athletes nowadays that that are going through these mental issues. Um, so that's important for me to understand. Like, hey, you have somebody here that that cares. And then two, just giving them someone that they can trust and lean on when times do get bad, if they ever do. And they may not be comfortable or may not feel like they can go to their parents for whatever. So I want them to feel like they have somebody like that in me. And it's it's helped in many occasions. So first of all, especially lately, there have been so many, you know, really upsetting stories of these athletes who are just succumbing to the pressures yeah. of not even just their sports necessarily, but just life, you know, the, the mm-hmm. collective of it. And I think it's it's scary as a parent. Because, you know, that's the, the worst case scenario. Yeah. And that's where communication is, is critical. And again, just development, you know, letting your, I, I guess the, to close on, on that point, you don't want to drive your kids into the ground where, you know, th- they just lose no. sight of, of what's important. And, no. and sports is, there are things to be gained from it. it it's obviously, you know, you want to work hard and stuff, but there's other things that you can come out of it that doesn't have to be a a scholarship you know you learn how to be a good teammate that's going to help you in the corporate world right and conflict resolution if you want to be a teacher you need to know how to help students who are struggling you know and and just other again other intangibles and you know you want your kids to know that you're there for them that they can rely on you and that you're going to be proud of them no matter what as long as they put the work in and and the time in and you know that they gave it their all that's important. And, you know, it's it's just sad to see some of these college kids, you know, you don't know what their backgrounds are or what led them right. to that point. But, you know, you wonder if if perhaps they had a stronger foundation that they could have worked off of that maybe it would turn out differently. And, that, and that's why I appreciate what you and Zach do and what I hope I've done for, for my players as a coach and what I hope I do for my kids as, as a parent is, mm-hmm. you know, just to let them know that I'm here for them and it's it's a journey that we're all going on together. Yeah. And you're never alone. There's always something that you can do to get out of a bad situation if you, if you reach out and, and, you know, and knowing that helping them to know that that support is there, I think is really critical. Yeah, 100%. I want to thank you, Gary, for letting me come through to the lab and spending all this time with me today. No problem. My uh, pleasure. Your, your insights, man. I, I feel bad. You had that shirt on the other day that basketball is cheaper than therapy. I'm just grateful you haven't started charging yet because, <laughs> you know, for me personally, you've been just a, an incredible resource and guide and so willing, you know, you. so willing to share that. And I hope you know how appreciated it it is not just by me. I can tell, but from other parents and stuff too. Thank you, thank you. Not everyone is as forthcoming with that kind of advice. You know? No, no. I think that that's intentional. You know, obviously, the the skills and things that we provide here are, you know, there's there's monetary value in that, but it's not everything that that we have to offer. You know, a lot of our biggest things have nothing to do with on the court skills. It's just really about empowering kids and and really finding a way to connect with them. And basketball is the vehicle for me to do that. It shines through, especially with how you and Zach interact with, especially the younger kids. You know, it's clear that you're not looking at them, you know, with dollar signs in your eyes. They're not just, it's not a revolving door of players where, well, if if these three kids dip out, we'll get three more to replace them. Like you genuinely treat them as people and value, you know, clients and members. Absolutely. And I think that's a rare, that's rare. And I think that's the biggest thing to, 
you know, that's not something that you can sell parents on. Um, all you can do is offer them um, your experiences and things like that and hope that, you know, others kind of tell your story and kind of spread that message. But it's rare for coaches, trainers, especially in these times, to not attach a dollar sign to a kid and let that come across as a care. So many times they pretend to care or at least it seems that way, but then as soon as things don't go their way, they're, they've switched up on you. So it's important for parents just to understand that, especially the parents that we deal with is like, listen, Zach and I are very confident in what we do. That's why we encourage kids to kind of go other places and, and experience what there is out there. We do our best to try to tell them and their parents like, hey, this, this may not be beneficial for you, but I still want you to go over there and experience it. That way, when you come back, you know what we have is the truth and what, what I was telling you was the truth. We're just confident in that way, um, but we're, we're not ones to kind of hold kids back. We're big believers in, you know, you can't learn everything from one author. You know, we kind of branch out and you want to read different books by different authors and then form your own opinions and things like that. And that's how we treat skill, skill training. It's funny because there are certain things that you can't put a price on that wind up being far more valuable than anything, you know, that you can get with money. I agree. And just, again, all those intangibles that my kids develop here, I can already see if I extrapolate from where we are now. First of all, I could have extrapolated from where we started to where we are now. Where's it, this has been such a great experience and they're so much better off for the time that they've spent with you guys. I can only imagine where they're going to be when they get to high school and, and perhaps even beyond. Oh, yeah. And it's not just about basketball. It is. It's about, you know, those other um, those other things that come to play. Yeah. But we appreciate you and Thank I you. appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you I, for having me. I cannot encourage people enough to check out the Dish and Dimes podcast because there is so much value there. I appreciate you, you know, hanging out on my little side project here. No uh, problem. And again, I, I thank you for having me. Thank you for giving your feedback to Zach and I and, and just supporting us the way that you do. So we appreciate it. And uh, if there's anything that we can do to help you, just let us know. Absolutely, man. Thank you. And thank you to everybody listening uh, whenever and wherever you are. Thanks.